Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1? Looking together this morning at, uh, we're going to read through uh, Philippians 1 verses 3 through 8. We've been looking at these first few verses of Philippians 1 for a few weeks now, and our subject of study has been true joy. We're going to consider closely this morning verses 7 and 8, but for the sake of placing things in context, let's begin our reading with verse 3, where Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now when we read in the New Testament of all that Paul experienced in his life, you would be right, I think, to come away with the idea that he was a man of great strength. It can be seen in the fact that he strongly proclaimed the gospel through even the most difficult circumstances. He suffered through many shipwrecks, we know. We know imprisonments and beatings, and through it all, his faith did not waver. He stood firm. He was bold. He told the truth, even when it wasn't popular. He was a man of firm convictions. But we're learning here in Philippians 1 that Paul was also a man of great joy. I don't think Paul was one of these who who had this stern and surly countenance that never cracked a smile, that never knew what joy is, because when you read Philippians, and you read specifically, we started here in Philippians 1, you begin to realize, here's a man who's who's been through and is going through difficulty and great hardship, and yet he knows what true joy is. He's experiencing it. And over the last couple of studies, we noted Paul's joy and and the four keys of the joy, uh, the uh, the keys to his joy, which were the, the fact that Paul found true joy in thanksgiving. Noted that a couple of weeks ago. And specifically, not just thanksgiving, generally, but specifically in giving thanks to God for the other believers that God had put in his life. I wonder how often we give thanks for those believers around us. Um, I felt that you were giving thanks for us as a family this morning. We we were very encouraged by your act of loving kindness and a gratitude, and that reminds us of how much you thank God for us, and we thank God for you. I thank God for you. I I thank God for you often, and I praise God for you. But I wonder how often we look around. I, I, I am guilty of not thanking God for you enough. And I wonder how often we fail to look around at the brothers and sisters in Christ that God has placed in our midst and, and, are, and are not thankful. We fail to be thankful. Or maybe worse, we, we wish we weren't among them, or we wish they weren't among us. That would be even worse, right? 
But, but that's not Paul. He's thanking God. He thanks God for these believers that God has brought into his life. He also found true joy in prayer. And I think it's interesting that in that also, his prayer we see is directed to God in gratitude for the other believers in his life. Again, especially praying for the needs of the other believers. He also found true joy through partnership. Again, more about these other believers that God has put into his life. And then we noted that he also found true joy through confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord would finish the good work that he started in these believers at Philippi. And in that truth, too, we we can recognize why Paul could appear to be such a strong individual because his confidence was not in himself. It was in God. And if he were to look at himself and his own circumstances, he'd probably be, ah, you know, I'm, I'm in prison. I'm in chains. I'm in shipwreck. I'm being persecuted. What can I do? But that's not his, that's not what he says, is it? Because he says that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So he's confident. And you and I can be confident too because we have that same hope in Christ. Now this morning I want you to see that there was another aspect of Paul's joy and it's seen in the fact that he had a tender heart and a deep affection for the Philippian believers. I hope you heard that as we read the passage this morning here in Philippians 1, especially there in verses 7 and 8. He had a tender heart. He had a deep affection for the Philippian believers. Martin Luther once wrote that the higher people are in the favor of God, the more tender they are. The higher people are in the favor of God, the more tender they are. I think what he meant by that was was that the closer one's fellowship is with God, the more tender you become because you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. You become more like the Father and the Son, right? Uh, Important truth, and I think that was Paul. That was very true of Paul. It's clear in the passage before us this morning uh, that we and we can see it here. So, so as we look at this passage, what what do we find here that characterizes Paul's tender heart for his fellow believers? What is it that characterizes his tender heart and his deep affection for his fellow believers? I'd like us to consider that this morning because I believe that Paul's joy shows us that a tender heart for your fellow believers and true joy are inseparable. I don't think that you can be absent a tender heart and loving kindness toward your brothers and sisters in Christ and, and experience true joy in your walk with Christ. They, I, I don't think that you can have one without the other. I don't think you can have true joy and be lacking in this tender-hearted compassion and deep affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It was certainly true of Paul, and I think we see that in his life, and I want to look at that together this morning. I don't think we'll find one without the other. And and I believe this, that if we truly want to be a church that pleases God, if we truly want to be a church that that loves God and loves people, then we need to take this to heart. We need to pay attention to what God has put in his word. Yes, this is Paul writing, but he's inspired by God. God moved him to write what God wanted Paul to write. And so we have here in God's word what God wants us to hear and see for our own sake, for our own lives. And if we want to be a church that truly loves God and loves people, then we've got to seek to have the same kind of tender-hearted love and compassion and deep affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ if we hope to have any impact in this community or anywhere else for that matter. So let's note first, Paul's love was right. 
Paul's love was right. Some characteristic about Paul's love for his fellow believers, and first of all, the first characteristic that I see is that Paul's love was right. Now, you're thinking, what in the world do you mean by that? That's the first characteristic of Paul's tender-hearted love for other believers. His love was right. Look at what he says in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Remember the context. He's talking about how much he's, he, he loves these people and he's thankful for them and their partnership in the gospel. And he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. It was right for Paul to have a deep affection and a deep love for these believers. And what I mean is that his loving and caring concern for them was right in the sense that it was, it was actually obedience to God's command. You realize that we are commanded to love one another? And Paul says, it is right that I love you. It is right that I feel this way about you all. This wasn't simply an appropriate feeling. This wasn't simply an appropriate sentimentality for Paul. In fact, this was a moral obligation. And I think we forget that sometimes. We think that we have certain rights. And in fact, you know, we are told that a lot, that we have rights. And yet we forget that God's word says, love one another. And in fact, that comes before our personal rights. And, and in fact, Jesus Christ demonstrated that when he was crucified because he came to be the sacrifice for sinners. He didn't come and demand his rights. He came to serve, right? And so that, that challenge is for us as well. And we can hear it in a passage such as 1 John 4.11. Beloved, if God so loved us, how? Jesus Christ, right? If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that was Paul's love for these believers. Paul's love for the Philippians was right. It was obedience. And if we see love for one another as a matter of an, a moral obligation before God, I think we're going to get a little more seriously about making sure our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ are on the right foundation, right? Are in good and safe territory. So, but imagine this. He, he's communicating to them. He's writing to them. He's in prison, we believe. And so he's writing to them to tell them how much he cares for them and how much he holds them before the Lord in prayer and how he intercedes for them and how much he wants for them spiritually and how thankful to God he is for them for their common fellowship and their partnership in the gospel. But imagine if he had not communicated this with them. Imagine if he had not communicated his love for them in, in this letter. Think of this. By writing to them of his affection for them, they could be encouraged that they themselves were loved by Paul, that God had been working in Paul's heart to stir a love for, for them in Paul's heart, a heart of compassion and concern and love for them. This had to be a great encouragement to them. It's one of the things that when I look at a passage like this today, I'm, I'm, I'm convicted that I don't tell you enough how much I love you as a church and how much you mean to me and how much you have blessed me in your partnership with me in the gospel. It is a precious thing. I am no, by no means, please don't misunderstand, I am by no means placing myself in Paul's realm, but God has placed me here to lead and to, to teach and to preach, and I praise God for you, and I thank God for you, and I love you deeply. Sometimes I don't like you. <laughs> and I know, I know sometimes you don't like me. 
But when I get that way, I have to say, but wait a minute, I love these people. And it's not exactly the same, but it's like a marriage relationship, right? Sometimes we don't like our spouse. But God says, love your spouse, right? And and I thank God for you. Sometimes it's easy to love one another, isn't it? And that is, is happening when we kind of feel that way. But this wasn't Paul. He wasn't saying, I feel these, you know, we're going to see a little bit of this here, yes. But I say this was a deep, a deep act of obedience by Paul, and, and, it, and this began to grow from his heart, his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so though we don't always like each other, <laughs> right, because we, sometimes we rub each other the wrong way, that's actually more of a personal problem than it is a relationship problem. And we need to see that. And we need to see that God commands us to love one another. And there may be things about each other that we don't totally like or agree with, but God commands, demands that his church love one another. And we need to get that right. That's why I began reading in 1 John this morning. That's why we, that's why we're preaching on joy. That's why we come to the passage like this, because I know that as a church, if we don't pay attention and, and work to enjoy the joy that God promises us, we will be miserable. And we will be ineffective for the cause of Christ. Henry Ward Beecher once wrote, Do not keep the alabaster boxes of your love and tenderness sealed up until your friends are dead. <laughs> Fill their lives with sweetness. Speak approving, cheering words while their ears can hear them and while their hearts can be thrilled by them. Kind of reminds me of Yogi Berra said, um, you know, go to your friends' funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. Right? <laughs> Do not keep, do not keep your love and concern for another to yourself. You may, you may be challenged in this. You may at times have that, you realize, oh wait, I, these are people for whom God died. And these are precious people, other believers whom God has placed in my midst. And oh my, how I love them. They, they remind me of God's love for me. And I'm thankful for them. They encourage me. Have you expressed that? Maybe a note, a card, a call, an email, face-to-face. -face, I thank God for you. I love you, my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. God bless you. Thank God for you. We need to do that. Uh, we need to not hold those things and keep them to ourselves. It ha actually helps grow our affection for one another when we express how God has blessed us in that way, when we can express how much God has blessed us with those uh, whom he has placed in our lives. Paul had to know that what he wrote would be a great encouragement to them. So he intentionally writes, and led and moved by the Holy Spirit, what, what he's thinking about them and how he, he loves them. And note, too, the phrase, because I hold you in my heart. Do you see that? Because I hold you in my heart. He's, he's talking also about the feelings and the thoughts he has for them. And this is, an, is, is important because... Uh, did you know that the thoughts and the feelings of your heart reveal what you really are? Have you ever thought about that? Matthew 15, 19 notes that if the heart is evil, this is in the negative, if the heart is evil, that's what will be revealed, right? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. If our heart's sinful and dark and evil, that's what's going to come out of our lives. 
So just imagine the encouragement of Paul's words for these believers at the church at Philippi. And I mean, even considering the fact that, that his own circumstances were dire, to say the least, being imprisoned himself, this had to be a moving thing for them to read. Just think of this. He's in prison and he's telling us how much he, he cares for us and how much he thanks God for us. How encouraging. And I think if we want to have right feelings and affections for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be seeking to live a life instructed by and obedient to the precious word of God. That we are moved by and molded by God's word if we want to have the the right kind of love for one another, the the obedient, God-glorified kind of love that we see in Paul's life. I think 1 Timothy 1.5 expresses the purpose of God's word for this. For believers this way, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart. You hear that? A pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If we want to get our love for one another right, we've got to get right with God. We've got to get our lives right with God's word. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but it means we have to be on the right path, on that narrow path, in fact, because you might look around and find that there aren't many people on that path with you but you need to do what's right before God if you want to be in a right relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if you're not in a right relationship with God, things will be out of kilter with others. So it wasn't that Paul only had a special feeling for them. He did, but that wasn't only it. It wasn't also that he was trying to gain their favor for, for more support. They did support him, but it's not like he's trying to go, okay, you know, you're, I really love you a lot, so you know, keep, keep the support coming now. But there's this sincerity in Paul's love for the Philippian believers that goes far beyond sentimentality. There is some sentimental feeling there. I can hear it. I think you can too. But, but it goes far beyond that. It was obedience to God because Paul knew God requires this of one another, that whether we totally like everything about each other, we, we love one another because God made us in his image and he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And we have this common bond in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. Now note another characteristic of Paul's love. Paul's tender heart, uh, heart of love was for faithful friends. He's speaking to and about faithful friends here. Paul's tender-hearted love was for faithful friends. The Philippian believers had stood by Paul. He had been through difficulty. He is going through difficulty. And through his imprisonment and also through the defense of the gospel together, that's what we see here in the rest of verse 7. Look at it. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now you think, what is that defense and confirmation of the gospel? Paul could be referring to defending himself during his imprisonment and trial in Rome, or he could have referred to his ministry as he's speaking here in general of defending the gospel. But whatever the case is, it's clear the Philippian believers were partakers with Paul of grace, God's grace. In other words, they shared in the same gift of salvation by God's grace that Paul had, and they also participated in Paul's ministry in spreading the gospel because they realized it wasn't just Paul's ministry, it was also their ministry. So they partnered with him. We noted that last week. The Philippians were faithful friends to Paul because they were co-laborers together for Christ. We heard it in verse 5 because because of your partnership in the gospel, right? 
Oh boy, they were with Paul in the good times. And I'm sure they enjoyed good times together. They were also with Paul in the bad times. They stood by him. They ministered alongside him. They ministered to him. And they were ministered to by Paul. And because of this, they had a very special bond with Paul from all of the joys and the difficulties that they had shared. I would say that that's true of us as a church. We have a special, we have a special bond. You, some of you have noticed this and, and we don't all stay here year round, right? Some of us go elsewhere and we find other fellowships to, to associate with where, where the gospel is preached and proclaimed, praise God. And you come back and I hear you say, it is so sweet to go somewhere else and find other lovers of Christ, and I have this common bond of fellowship. And that, and that always encourages my heart to know that there are places we can go all over God's creation and find other believers with whom we can fellowship because of that common bond in Christ. But sometimes I also hear this, but there's just nothing like being here. <laughs> That's special, right? Because we have a common bond that is growing and as we fellowship together, as we serve together, as we go through hardship together, as we see the highs and the lows together, there is something very special about our fellowship. And it's not that you can't join our fellowship, right? I mean, these doors are open for anyone to be a part of this fellowship, but the, but the more we're together, the more special this fellowship becomes because we serve together for the cause of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's not a miraculous work, when God brings people together and there's this joy of communion and fellowship together, we don't know what miracles are. That's a miraculous work. You do not have that in the workplace. You have camaraderie at times, and there's a special camaraderie because you share a common task or a common goal, but very often you guys go your separate ways, right? And you don't have the common the commonality of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God at work in you with the Word of God. That is very precious and very uh, very strong and powerful as God works that in us. If we're going to know true joy, we need to not only rightly and obediently love one another, we also need to faith, be, be faithful friends. Not just look for faithful friends. You know, we all want those. <laughs> we say, I'm going to find somebody who will be faithful, a faithful friend to the end. You be one first. We ought to strive to be those faithful friends who come along our brothers and sisters in Christ to serve alongside them, shoulder to shoulder, through thick and thin, for for God's glory. Be that faithful friend. Be that person for others. And I believe you'll find others who will be that for you. And there is true joy found both in the giving and the receiving of this kind of friendship. Praise God. Now, note, too, that this points to us to the next characteristic of Paul's love. Number three, Paul's tender-hearted love was sincere. It was sincere. You say, well, you already talked about that. Yes, I did. <laughs> but note verse 8 again. For God is my witness. Right? At first, we talked about the fact that his, his love was right. And you could have said, well, that was sincerity. Yes, but it was obedient. That made it right. Here, his love is sincere. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all. And Paul could say with a clear conscience that God knew his heart. God's looking at my heart, says Paul. For God is my witness, and God knows that, that I have this tender-hearted love for you. 
for these believers in, in Philippi, his, his love was sincere. His love for them was genuine. It was not an act. He wasn't just trying to flatter the Philippian believers for what he could get out of them. Because, for one thing, sincerity can't be faked. You might try, and you might pull the wool over a few folks' eyes, but like Benjamin Franklin wrote, truth and sincerity have a certain distinguishing native luster about them which cannot be perfectly counterfeited. They are like fire and flame that cannot be painted. Or try taking a picture of fire and flame. I've done that. I love sometimes we, we start a wood fire, which we won't need to do for another six or eight months, we hope. Um, you know, wood fire at home. Yeah, silly, silly me. And I've tried to take a picture of the flames through the glass in the wood stove, and it just looks so incredible. And then you get the pic- you look at the picture later, you go, well, that was nothing like what I saw, <laughs> right? You can't fake sincerity either. I think Benjamin Franklin was right. We need to be a church of believers who genuinely and sincerely love one another out of obedience to God and from the heart. And we are... We are not talking about here, let me tell you what we're not talking about. We're not talking about a feelings-based kind of love. We're often told that love is based on how you feel, which is very convenient, you know, because we're led to believe that love is about your emotions, and if you're feeling out of love, or if you're feeling no love for that individual, then you are free to move on. But that is not a biblical kind of love. You see, if you love one another, you don't just up and find another church when things get difficult. I, and, you know, that can be the temptation, right? But if God has placed you here and you realize that God has, has put you in this fellowship and you've sensed at some point a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to let that overrule your emotional thinking at times. And it does break my heart at times when I, when I think of, of folks who who come and fellowship and become a part of the church, and it seems like we have a common bond in Lord Jesus Christ, and then there's something that fractures that, and, and it seems irreparable and irrecoverable and irreconcilable, and it causes that person to leave and never come back, and we think, what did we do? What did we say? And, and how could we have corrected that? And I say it's a two-way street. We all have to do our part. We each one must look and say, look, has God put me here in this place? Then we should not easily separate we should not easily tear that apart because God desires that we work through difficulties together to be the church that God wants us to be, to bring glory to his name in this community where people divorce like that, right, and say, I'm done with you, I'm leaving, you know, I don't love you anymore. And, and I know that some of us have experienced that, and it's heartbreaking, is it not? God wants us to glorify him in his church. He wants us to glorify him in our marriages as well and in our families. And we ought not easily think that we can just separate and fall out of love because this love is obedience. Same is true for marriages. You love your spouse, you love your wife, husbands, because God commands you to, not because you feel like it. Now, granted, I went to a wedding this week. I saw my niece married, and they looked like they were in love. They looked radiant, right? You go to a wedding recently, they looked radiant. They, I could tell they felt like they were in love. But it won't be long and they'll experience something other than that, right? Because they're two different people in a marriage together and they're going to find that, that there are stresses and difficulties and things that cause them to feel like they don't quite love each other like they used to. And that's when we go back to God's word and we say, but God commands 
that we love one another, that we leave our mother and our father and we cleave to the one to whom he has made one with me. And the church too. How incredible of us to think that we can church hop and church shop and not do damage to ourselves and to God's church, right? How how careful we must be that we become one with the church and with, with the body of Christ and love one another from the heart. Now, next characteristic of Paul's love was that, that Paul's love filled him with longing. It filled him with longing. Paul longed to see them again. He, he longed to spend time with these Philippian believers again. And I would say that this looks like what we call fellowship sometimes. We enjoy sweet fellowship when we come together as a church, do we not? And that, uh, that was Paul's heart. He longed to be with the church once again. Paul missed them. He longed to see them. And his longing uh, was for all of them. Did you notice that? Notice the words in, in uh, Philippians in Philippians 4, 1, go back to, to there. Therefore, my brothers, I'm sorry, not verse 1. Or yeah, go, to, go to Philippians 4, 1. Because later he writes here in Philippians 4, 1, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for. Right? He longs for them. We can see it. We can hear it back in chapter 1 also. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. We can hear it. In, in verse 9 when he says, with, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He longs for all of this for them so that they might grow and be growing in godly, Christ-honoring fellowship. And when he thinks of them, I'm sure of this, verse 6, that, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion for the day of at the day of Jesus Christ, and it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. In his heart, he longs for them, and he longs for them to be mature, Christ-honoring, godly fellowship. We can hear it again in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What does he want for them? He loves them so much, he longs for them to be spiritually mature. He longs for them to be growing up in Christ. And Paul longed to see them again so that that would happen. And we often think of, of that longing in our fellowship when we look forward to coming together as, as an encouragement for each other. And yes, it is encouraging when we gather together with God's people but when was the last time you thought about it in terms like this? I long to be with God's people so that I can help them and they can help me grow up in Christ and be godly and mature people so that we might glorify God as a church. You see, Paul missed them and he longed to see them again and his longing was for all of them. And back in verse 8 it says, you all. <laughs> you notice that? I long for you all. How I yearn for you all. His was a deep and genuine love for each and every believer at Philippi. And it's the same kind of longing to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, which, which is needed in, in the church today, in the church in general and in this church. We need to long to be together. So much so that, that there are times when you think, oh, I just think I'd rather not go to church today. I know those feelings. It's a good thing that God made me a pastor because I have to be in church. 
every time. I think, I, I'm serious, sometimes I think God knew I was going to struggle with not wanting to be at church. And so he says, good, you be the pastor. <laughs> You'll be in church every time. I need this. There have been times in my life when I wasn't a pastor, and I failed at this. I remember once uh, when I was in law enforcement, and it made my life miserable when I allowed the work that I was doing to trump fellowship with, with godly people. And, and sometimes a work schedule can be very difficult and, and can clash with the church's times of meeting. But I know from personal history that there were times I could have fellowshiped with God's people and I chose not to. And so we need to be careful that we're cultivating this, this great joy that will be ours as we grow in fellowship with one another in the church because not only do we need the support and encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need them to be able to stand by us and be able to point to a time in our life if we start to stray from the Lord where they might help rescue us and bring us back. And then when we come together, we hear the gospel proclaimed together, right? We hear the same things, and yet the Holy Spirit often uses the same things we hear in different ways in our lives. Praise God. That too is a miracle, one that I can never do. I can't tell you all what you need to hear today, but God will take this and use it in us collectively together and grow us in fellowship and strengthen us as the body of Christ. And so when those times come when you're tempted, I don't need church today, but boy, I sure am going to miss that fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to go. Praise God for that. Because I believe after you've been here, I can never think of a time when I didn't want to go to church, that I did go, that I regretted going later. It's the same sincere love that Paul has for these believers. It's the love that does what's right, treats others right regardless of feelings, and that grows, that grows a fellowship in love. And it grows in you that desire to be with those people whom God has placed in your life who will help you grow as a follower of Christ. This is the kind of sincere love toward one another that we need to demonstrate in our homes and in God's church. powerful love that was that was Paul's. It was a longing for these believers. His was a deep and genuine love for, for each and every one of these believers at Philippi. Note too, Paul's tender-hearted love was rooted in his fellowship and relationship with Christ. And that's where it always must begin, in fact. If we don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot have the kind of joy that we're talking about. We cannot have the kind of fellowship with God's people that we're talking about. Paul's tender-hearted love was rooted in his relationship with Christ. Look at verse 8 again. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I see here that, that Paul's affection for the believers overflowed from his relationship with Christ. Paul knew Christ as Lord. Paul knew the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and he longed to make Christ known. And with that same love that Christ had shown Paul, Paul wanted to show that same kind of love to these believers, that sacrificial love, that, that others first kind of love, loving them with the love that, that he was shown by God. And this is just what we hear from Paul in chapter 2. If we were to go to chapter 2, and he instructs in the first few verses of chapter 2, he, he's instructing the church at Philippi with these words. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and that being in Christ, being believers in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, says Paul. Why is he telling them this? Because he wants them to know the joy that he knows. Because he wants them to be a a growing and thriving church that he knows God longs for them to be. And this is the same kind of love we should be showing toward our brothers and sisters in Christ if we want to know true joy ourselves. The love that we are to have toward one another is a love that only Christ can bring. It's the love that only Christ can initiate and bring into our homes and into his church. And so we must begin with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ and you're hearing the gospel today and you're, and you're thinking, this sounds like something I need, then let me tell you that first you need Christ. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can do it in prayer at this moment. You can talk to God in prayer and say, I repent of my sins. I believe in Jesus Christ. I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And and so I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the gift of salvation. And God saves your soul. And he moves in by way of the Holy Spirit to help you grow up in fellowship with God's church and to experience true joy through that fellowship. It begins with Christ. As we walk closely with Christ, he grows in us his love And as it grows, it will pour out to those around us in our families and in his church. And if his love is not growing in us, that is not his fault. And if if our love isn't growing, that's not God's fault. It's something that we need to take personally. And so my prayer is that you would know true joy, the true joy Paul knew because he was honoring God, and that we would be like Paul in this, that we would be honoring God by rightly, obediently loving one another, seeking to be faithful friends in God's church. I mean, serving alongside our fellow believers, being those faithful friends ourselves, and enjoying those faithful friends who serve alongside us, loving one another with sincerity, not for personal gain, longing to meet together faithfully that we might be encouraged and that we might be an encouragement to others. And all of those rooted in our relationship with Christ. It all must be connected to and growing out of our obedient, faithful walk with Christ, our fellowship with Christ, because we've been, pla- we've been placed in Christ through faith in Christ. We've been placed together in Christ through faith in Christ, and we depend on his faithful love, do we not? And may we glorify God as a church, and may we know true joy, as we walk in obedience, as we mimic the life of Paul in us, and we watch how he grew and how he loved the church and showed his tender-hearted care for the church, we can, we can see these, these facets of his love for them and realize that these are things we need to practice also to know the true joy that God has reserved for his obedient children. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in him we know what joy is. 
we know it begins with salvation, salvation from sins. How precious that though we are undeserving of your grace and mercy and forgiveness of sins, you give it freely through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his once and for all finished and complete sacrifice for all who would believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and we praise you for that. Now, God, I pray, take us from this place today and grow in us a longing to be obedient to you in how we show our, our love for one another in the church, how we thank you for one another, how we walk with one another side by side, shoulder to shoulder, through the difficulties, through the hardships, staying together, serving together, serving for the sake of the gospel and for your glory. And Lord, I know that as we, as we show the kind of love toward one another that the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates toward us, we will know true joy. And we will be encouraged and strengthened. And I believe as a church we will be effective in how we live in this community and in this, in this world with the gospel flowing from our lives that others might see Christ and turn to him and believe and be saved. God, help us to glorify you in in that way in this church and help us to know personally the true joy that's ours as we walk with Christ in this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.